Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome, you're here. Part one of our series called Connect. It's so good to have you at church today. Um, how many of you uh, grew up playing Legos, Legos, Lego builders? How many of you got kids that do Legos? I got three little munchkins. They get together. Sometimes they all bust it out at the table at the same time, trying not to get pieces intermingled. I love Legos just because my kids love Legos and Legos if you if you know anything about them This is what my kids will run into is that when you're building There's like an order that you need to build in and if you don't get the right pieces connected in the right order It messes up everything else in the future It almost has this kind of like roadblock to what you're trying to build For the future and so a lot of times they'll get stuck and you have to look so carefully sometimes at the tiniest little piece That's not just one little nugget or one little peg or one little whatever over and if you get that wrong It throws off everything else, but if you get it right You can build something great and this is the idea behind connected is that if you will get the right pieces in the right places in your life Or let me put it like this if you can get the right relationships connected to your life you can actually build something great because here's here. I'm going to I'm going to teach you some things that you already know today Can I just do that like you're brilliant people? You're very very smart. Here's one that we all know. Here's this opening thought. It's not what you know It's who you know. Is that true? Of course, it's true now some of you are, are mad that it's true Because it just depends it depends on your most recent experience like recently um, I'll tell you this I got to go to Hawaii And it was paid for and it was like and it wasn't because of what I knew there was no amount of intelligence that helped me do that. It was just simply who I knew. And so I'm excited about this thing. This idea is wonderful to me right now. Like I was telling somebody just the other day, I got to go to an A's baseball game. And then afterwards, I got to go out onto the field. And then I'm sitting there at like home plate looking out. And then I got to go in the dugout. And I got to go behind the thing into the locker room areas. And all. I'm like, that's so cool. I don't even like baseball. And that's cool. All you baseball people are like, yeah, Buster, how does he get that? It, I, it was an accident. It's not what I knew. It was, it was who I knew. And that works for you in a really positive way sometimes. Sometimes you get the hookup because it's not what you know. It's who you know. But sometimes that works in a negative way. Like if your most recent experience was is that that twerp nephew got the job that you were more deserving of. And he got the job simply because he was the boss's nephew. That worked for you in a negative way, didn't it? It was not. So some of you are angry about this principle here but it's true and let me even like i'll give you this thought too this works for you in a spiritual way because i don't know if you've ever thought it like this how you get to heaven is not based on what you know it's based on who you know you do not get to heaven because you will get to the uh proverbial pearly gates and peter's standing there asking you a question and you're hoping it turns into a joke and you just get to go in he doesn't he doesn't sit there and ask you questions and basically if you can rattle off some information rattle off some statistics rattle off some stories rattle off some things that they're like hey you know the information as if information got you in information does not get you in jesus gets you in And it is knowing him or being known by him that gets you in. And so there's this huge principle in life that it's not what you know, it's who you know. So over the course of today and the next three weeks to come, we want to talk to you about the four most important relationships that I think you need to be connected to. And and one of them is, is so obvious as we open up the gate here. But man, I'm telling you what, if you will intentionally pursue these four connections, then again, if you'll get them in the right pieces, in the right places, in the right order, you can build something great because, or we could just say it like this, our relationships determine the direction and the quality of our lives. They just do it. If you think about the greatest moments of your life, the greatest experiences of your life were probably not by yourself. 
You were probably not all somewhere completely alone and be like, this is the best ever. You were with somebody. The greatest, and, and let's just take it back to maybe pre-Jesus here, or hopefully pre-Jesus. Hopefully it wasn't last night. But the worst or the dumbest experiences, the most foolish experiences that you ever had, you were not alone somewhere and were like, wow, that was the dumbest thing I've ever done. You were with a group of people and the, the culmination of the dumbness. You rallied foolishness. You, 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 you multiplied idiocy. You, know, you put it together. And then cops were called. And then you got around. Then that broke. Or then that failed. Or then what? And you were with people. So again, our relationships determine the direction and the quality of our lives. And what we're going to talk about today in particular is this. At this very kind of opening session, this opening week, we're going to talk about how everybody in life, everybody needs a Jonathan. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's pray as we get started. So God, we pray that, um, Lord, we just learn, we'd grow, we'd expand, we'd be challenged, we'd be changed, we'd be introspective today. God, that we would walk through scripture and maybe let it speak to us today, God, but that we would walk out of here and do something with it. Lord God, that we'd walk out of here and be different because of who you are and what you said. Lord, that's our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. So everybody say, Jonathan. Everybody needs a Jonathan. Now, if you know the Bible at all, you know that there's this character, and it's, there's more talked about this character in the Old Testament than any other person. His name was David. But David has a buddy, a roll dog, a homie. He's got a friend. He's got a bestie. He's got a BFF. It is probably... Now, all throughout Scripture, you can see like people partner together, and people had buddies and friends. But there is no relationship in Scripture that is probably more obvious than David and his... His BFF, Jonathan. And this, this relationship is incredible. It's a dynamic. I mean, I'm telling you, if you don't know the story of David, let me give you the, 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 kind of the, the preface to the whole story. David's this young shepherd boy, born of this family. He's like eighth in line. His dad is Jesse. He's a shepherd kid. Israel's at a time where they're at war. And then, of course, if you know the greatest story about David, it's David and Goliath. Yeah, big, ugly dude, eight foot tall, you know. Anyway, he's this big, ugly dude that's taunting the Israelites. David goes out and says, I'm going to put a whooping on you. And there's this big fight. Normally, we look at David and Goliath, and we use it as a metaphor for like the giant and the little guy. And funny, if you look at history, that's not true. Uh, David would have been favored in this fight. And the reason why is because he went out with a sling, and he was standing at least 30 yards away from the guy. I don't know about you, but you can win a fight when you're 30 yards away. Right? Like, that's better because you don't get pummeled on. And Goliath's this big, oafy guy that moves slow, and he's got this big, heavy sword. And so David's back there with a sling, like, I ain't getting even close to you. And he can hurl this sling. I'm telling you, the sling and the velocity that, that a, a rock can come out is deadly. And these guys were known. These guys were incredible at this thing. The, the, there were certain tribes in Israel that were known that they could throw a sling. And this was not one of these right here, y'all. This is not like what your kid has. This is one of these big slings. And they could hurl it and take a bird out of the sky. That's how famous these guys were for how great their sling was. And they could hurl at a velocity that was deadly. And so he's standing at least 30, 20, 30, 40 yards away. And he's like, I'm not getting close to you. And he takes down Goliath and becomes a national hero. It's, it's just an unbelievable story. But this story connects him to a whole lot of crazy, but it connects him to his future BFF. And what you find is, is that in life, everybody needs a Jonathan. You need somebody in your life, because you're going to see it in just a second here, that's just your buddy, that's got your back, that's with you, that's, that we, we, we ride together, we die together. We're bad boys for life. And so we just, that's how we roll. 
And that's what the story of Jonathan is. And there's four main characteristics, I think, in the life of Jonathan and in the life of David that show you what it means to be a great friend and what it means to have a great friend. Will you look at it with me? So let's, let's just dive into the scripture. The first scripture says this is 1 Samuel 18 verse 1 says, After David had finished talking with Saul, remember he goes and when he beats Goliath, you need to know it was like, it was like winning the lottery. Okay, He gets tax free for life. He gets the hand of the king, which now means he's the son-in-law of the king. He gets a bunch of money. It's, it's like winning the jackpot. And so he is standing before King Saul now. And so when he had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, who's Saul's son, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as he loved himself. Now that's, that's friendship. Loved him as he loved himself. And from that day, Saul kept David with him. And did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And so listen to this. He took off the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now this is incredible because you remember this is a poor kid. This is a poor shepherd boy. He came from nothing. He was, as a matter of fact, there's a story earlier where uh, the prophet shows up to Jesse's house, his dad. He says, hey, bring me all your sons. They don't even bring David. They're like, eh. Forget him. Who cares? And, and, and so he's just, just poor kind of dismissed kid. And then all of a sudden he's in the palace. He's before the king. And then there's the prince. There's the son of the king. And the son of the king says, man, there's something about our relationship. There's some type of connection there. I'm going to give you my coat. I'm going to give you my belt. I'm going to give you. And here's the principle I want you to think about is this. Is, is the first key thing that, that happens in great friendship is that a Jonathan is willing to sacrifice for you. Like there is something about the Jonathans of your life, and this is what makes friendship really, really great. A friend, a Jonathan will sacrifice for you. Let me let me paint that picture for you. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier. You know, we got to go on this trip to Hawaii, but how many know you got to get to the airport, and you got luggage and golf clubs, and you know what? What was the six a.m. flight? It's awful. That's when you need a Jonathan. Because you need somebody that is willing to sacrifice their time and sleep to get you there. And so, we, so what we did was, is we had this guy, a very dear friend of mine, say, hey man, can you take us to the airport? And he says, yeah, because he's a Jonathan. And so um, here's the problem though. Um, we're like, hey man, we, we got to get there super early and all this stuff. And he goes, okay, just let me know when to pick you up, what airport. Okay, we're going out of SF. And, and okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so we get up. He literally has to make two stops, drive us all the way to San Francisco airport. Now, we're taking Hawaiian Airlines. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. We're circling the terminal section at San Francisco airport, and we're like, there is no Hawaiian. And we're all confused. And we're like, so I'm like, Sandy, are you sure? Are you sure this is the right airport? And she goes, I don't know. Let me look it up. Oh, crap. We're supposed to be in Oakland. So my Jonathan, my buddy, my dear friend, Vito, get in the car. because we're, we're, We are flying. He not only is sacrificing time, now he's sacrificing potentially our lives. He's certainly <laughs> sacrificing uh, a ticket and insurance increases and whatever. And I'm telling you, because y'all think about the bay. We're already on this side of the bay. We got to come right back across the bay, go north to get up to the airport. I'm telling you what, we just, whoo. Sometimes in life you need a Jonathan, you know what I'm saying? You need somebody. Don't worry, I got your back. I will get you there. I'd appreciate you telling me the proper airport. 
but I'll get you there. See, great, I'm just telling you this, that a great friend is willing to sacrifice for you. And there's something interesting in the Hebrew language. The word for sacrifice is actually that has the same root word as the word together or close. I want you to think about that. The word sacrifice and the root word for close or together, it's the same word. It's the same root. And the Hebrew people, when they would look at words, they would always look at the way that they're connected. And they would say there's a correlation between sacrifice and closeness. There is something to that in this life. Parents, I'll prove it to you. Parents, you sacrifice a lot for your kid, and therefore you feel really, really close to your kids. And then, you know, as a kid, you kind of know this feeling too. You don't sacrifice a lot for your parents usually. And so there's a, this is why parents feel closer to their kids than kids feel for their parents. That's why when, like, you take them off for their first day of elementary school, you're crying. Ah, and they're like, peace out, man. I'm out of here. I don't need you. Or, or you know, middle school. Ah, I mean, my mom cried every time she took us to school. I never cried once. I was ready to leave. Like, right? Like, 18, bye, mom. Peace out. I'm out of here. I love you. But yeah. So anyway, my, my point is, is that parents many times feel, but why? They sacrificed more. Um, here's a thought. When it comes to like, we just, we just receive tithes and offerings. We call this a sacrifice. You are giving up something to honor God. Have you ever thought about why God asked you to do that? Because it's not because God needs your money. How ridiculous, as if there's a currency in heaven where God needs to pay bills. How ridiculous. Do you know why? There's a number of reasons why, but one of the reasons why God says, no, I want you to give and give sacrificially. It's not because he needs your offering. It's because you need your offering. Because sacrifice is what bonds you together with your heavenly father and brings you closer to it. We, we know this to be true of anything that we work hard for in life. That if we work hard and sacrifice for something in life, that means more to us than if somebody just handed it to us. Guys, this is why I know about you. You will grill and you think it's amazing just simply because you made it. You're like eating that steak. It's probably rubbery and chewy and overcooked. This is so good. Why? You made it. You sacrificed. You feel close to that steak. And so anyway, my... my application application is this if you ever wanted to develop great friendships go make sacrifices for others like if you're new to a community go find groups or people or church and go start serving and sacrificing and watch how you're bonded together with those people you will feel closer and believe it or not there's almost a social obligation to say hey look at this person who's coming in and sacrificing and let's make a bond let's make a friendship and so everybody needs this thing but it begins with this idea called sacrifice you need jonathan's in your life people that you're disconnected to but if there's a friendship and it's always about you and only about you, that friendship will be short-lived. There must be mutual sacrifice for there to be this incredible friendship. And you need that in this life. So you need that. So let's keep going. Number two is this. As the story continues, there's more that unfolds. Basically, uh, King Saul is crazy. He should have been on medication. And I'm not joking. He should have been on very, very like severe medication. The guy was loony. Um, and so because of that, he gets neurotic about David. As a matter of fact, one of the things he does is he just gets really insecure. And the reason why he gets insecure is because they made songs about David. And the songs were like, hey, David has killed his, uh, or Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul's hearing the song and getting all insecure. And he's just weird and neurotic. And so he's like, you know what? I'm going to murder the kid. That's what crazy people do. Anyway. So listen to this, 1 Samuel verse 19. This is the very next chapter. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him. My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. 
be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. So Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. And he said, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel. And you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him? For no reason. Here's the big walk away is this. Is, is, is Number one, there's an element of sacrifice to great friendships. But a great friend, a Jonathan, they'll defend your reputation. And this is so true of life. There, there is something about, because this is a story. Hey, he's not a bad guy. He's not what you think he is. I promise he's a good. Don't you remember? And he's defending David's reputation. See, a great friend, they will not gossip about you. See, here's the problem with gossip. Whenever you become a gossip... What happens is, is, that, is that you lose all trust inside of relationships. When you are a gossip, your friends are always wondering, what do they say about me when I'm not around? And so then they guard themselves. I'm telling you, it's just one of those evil, negative things. I remember this. There was a person that we knew was all a gossip, always talking about people. And I asked my buddy, I said, hey, what does he say about me when I'm not around? And you know what my friend said? My friend said he wouldn't open his mouth to talk about you like that. Because he knows I would defend you. He won't even say anything. Even though he gossips about it. Because that's what a great friend does. A great friend becomes the barrier. A great friend does not gossip. Okay, that's friendship 101, right? Great friends don't gossip. Don't talk about your friends. But you know what friendship 201 is? If somebody is ever talking about your friend, you go in and defend their reputation. I had this, uh, my former employer, I was working there. And when I first came on staff, um, there were some people that really liked me. And there were some people that really, really didn't like me. You ever been there before? And, and, and so because I was replacing somebody and had taken somebody else's job, then the people who were friends with the guy that the job that I took, they were convinced I was a jerk. I, they didn't like me and they were never going to give me a chance. And so there's all bad mouth. And there's like two or three of them. There's bad mouth in me. And, and I remember um, it got back to me. Somebody who was observing this was watching what was going on. So my buddy, my old pastor was hanging out with these guys and they're all bad mouthing me. And this story comes back to me. He goes, you know what your buddy did? You know what Marcus did when those guys started bad mouthing you? He said, your buddy, who's all, who's younger than all these older guys. He goes, he stood up and said, no, no, you don't know Todd. I know Todd. You don't know him like I know him. You need to give him a chance. He's a good guy. And I was like, oh my gosh, man, for, for somebody to go to bat for you like that in, in, in a, in a, in a arena like that, man, just meant the world to me. Like, that's what great friends do. They'll defend you. They'll go to bat for you. They'll defend your reputation. As a matter of fact, there's this incredible story. If you know anything about baseball and, and how, you know, when, when, when blacks were first allowed into baseball, there was a lot of racial just animosity. And so Jackie Robinson was this incredible baseball player. And when he came in to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers, that's how long ago that was, before they moved to L.A., they were playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Well, like, when he first came in the league, there was all this racial animosity and hatred. And so the fans would yell stuff and the other uh, dugout would be yelling stuff. I mean, sometimes they do cruel things. Well, one time they're up in Boston and, and the racial slurs and the taunts are so bad. So, so Jackie played second, but at shortstop, there was another famous player named Pee Wee Reese. And he goes over to Jackie Robinson. He calls timeout and just stands by his friend and puts his arm around him. And all they do is wait for the crowd to shut up. 
And what an incredible, am I like, I'm sure he caught heck for it. I'm sure they said stuff to him about it, but that's the type of thing. You just go defend, you go stand your ground with your friend, with your Jonathan, say, hey, this is my friend, this is who I'm rolling through life with. And I'm just telling you, it's a powerful, powerful thing. Number three is this, let's keep reading. First Samuel chapter 20, verse 42. There's this interesting dynamic where Saul is still convinced he wants to kill David. All kinds of ugliness is going on, and so they have to split. David becomes a fugitive for a short period of time. But this is what happens when he's leaving. 1 Samuel 20, verse 42 says, At last Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. And then David left and Jonathan returned to his town. What they do is they make a covenant with each other. And this covenant shows up later when David actually becomes the king. Because normally, think about this. In the ancient world, when a king took over, what was the most common thing in the world to do was, is go find the, um, the lineage of the prior king and kill them all. Because there was always this fear that somebody from that line would always want to come back and overthrow the king to take back the line to the throne and all that stuff. And so that was the most normal thing in the world. And so when David becomes king, he actually says these words. You go find Jonathan and all of his descendants. And I, get you, I guarantee you all the, all the generals, all the troops were like, yeah, we're going to go kill these guys. And he goes, no, no, no. You go find any of Jonathan's descendants and you bring them to me because they will live in the king's palace. This is the covenant that he made. Not, not just me and you are buddies. I swear an oath that you and our friend, I mean, you and our children will always be friends. That's the covenant I make. Now watch this next verse here, because this is what, what really sets up what I just said. Then David, this is verse before, bowed three times to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye. And then I like how the author kind of throws David under the bus, especially David. Like they're all crying and weepy. They're having their BFF moment. They're saying goodbye. They may, I may never see you again. Stay alive. I will find you. So anyway, they got this going on. And they have this weepy cry moment. Here's the point. A Jonathan will let you be yourself. If you're a sensitive dude, it's cool. If you cry, it's cool. I'll just let you be yourself. They had a moment where they hug, they embrace and they just have a good cry. Now, let's talk men just for you. That's tough. Some people don't think I have emotions. I do. I'm not fully aware of them, but I have them somehow. Okay? I don't cry a lot. Occasionally, I'll do see a movie or a commercial or something. That I just get watery. No tears coming down. Just watery. And that might be the extent. Of, but, I, but I'm telling you, like... You know, they have this embrace. They have this depth. You know what they have? They have vulnerability with each other. Because guys especially, uh, we have a temptation to keep our relationships incredibly shallow. Like we want to talk about sports or the news. You know, how how are the Raiders doing? How are the Niners doing? We'll argue and bicker a little bit. Well, you know, we'll stand over the grill that you thought tasted really good just because you made it. And you stand over the grill and be like, what are you doing over there? And so we just like to stand around the grill we keep it really, really shallow. But one of the things that that prevents us from is having depth of relationship. So there's this kind of layers of relationship. Number one would be the mingling level. You know what I'm talking about? Meet and greet. You're at a party. Super schmoozy. Nothing, nothing. And then you have, so that's mingling. Then you have the acquaintance level. That's like, oh yeah, that's so-and-so. I know him. Then there's kind of, you get into the next step. Then you have, we actually have friendship. Now again, guys talking to you mostly right now. This is where friends, we just do stuff together. We don't want to talk. Just do stuff together, right? Women will talk. It's amazing. 
My wife just went out with somebody. I'm like, what'd you do? Nothing. We just talked. Can you imagine that? Hey, Steve, you want to go somewhere and just talk? No, I don't. Me and Steve were at the gym yesterday. A half hour had gone by, and I'm like, oh, man, we haven't even said anything. Hey, how are you doing? I forgot to ask you. How are you? We're just lifting weights. That's what men do. You know. But if, 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 if you only stay there, you, you, you lack vulnerability because at at, that's where the last level is, is that vulnerable level. You need a Jonathan in your life. And now listen, listen carefully because I'm not saying go be weepy and hug and cry with everybody. That's not, that's the opposite of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that you need at least one person, maybe two at most, maybe, maybe three on the bar. You, just like, you need a couple people in your life that you can just be yourself with, that you can be, be completely vulnerable you can kind of let your fears out there. You can let your weirdness out there. You can, because you're all quirky and weird. You know it. You need one person that knows kind of how weird you are. Maybe not all of it, but most of it. Because that's how you get vulnerable. And that type of vulnerability creates connection. And that's what you were made for. You, you need a Jonathan to let you be yourself. Last one is this. Well, let's, let's keep going here. First Samuel chapter 23. We dropped down a couple of chapters. And it says this. It says, while David was at Horish in the desert of some weird place, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. So again, he left as a, as a, as a fugitive. He's on the run. He's hiding out in caves. And finally, he has this moment where he's able to reconnect with Jonathan. And so it says this. It says, and Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and helped him. Listen to this. Listen to this language here. And helped him find strength in God. And then he says these words, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel. I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And then Jonathan went home, but David remained at horse. What I want you to see is this, is that David while on the run, David while being a fugitive, David while hiding out in caves, this is not, you know, the Sheridan. This is not any, this is not even the Motel 6. This is a cave. He is on the run. He is desperate. There's all these cool and crazy weird stories that happen to David. And again, more talked about David than any other character of the Old Testament. But what you find is, is that finally Jonathan shows up and says, hey man, I got you. But I need you to know something. Don't be afraid. God is with you. You're going to make it. Even Saul knows that I got your back. He just goes on and on and on and on. And the principle would be this, is that Jonathan is a constant source of encouragement. You need some people that will show up in the middle of your cave, in the middle of your darkness, and say, don't worry, you hang in there, you hold on, you're going to make it, little buddy. I pray, Hey, I'm praying for you, I'm with you, you got this, God is going to do this, God is going to work it out, we're going to see you through this. You need people to build you up, you need people to encourage you. And, and let me challenge you, if you're not a good encourager, let me tell you that you need to do something, whether you feel comfortable at it or not. As a matter of fact, what you may want to even do is examine, why don't I encourage people? Because I had to do this. I had to say, Todd, you're not a good encourager. You don't, you know, you're not very good at this. Why? And what I realized is, is I'm mostly oblivious. I am mostly oblivious. Like, I, it doesn't even cross my mind. The other day, Nate's in the office. He's being super encouraging. And I just dawned on me. I'm like, yeah, me and Delaney don't do that. We just go about our business and we keep working and doing things. And then it, I'm like, why? Well, we're just oblivious. It's not that we don't care. 
So we don't see. And I'm like, man, Todd, that's not good. That's not healthy. You need to shake out of your oblivious nature and think of others. Consider what they're going through. through going, consider what they're feeling at the moment. And encourage people. Can I, I'm going to give you this little bit of nugget here. Encouraging people is sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do. Encouraging people is sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do. There's something scriptural about it. It lifts people up. It builds them up. It edifies them. And so go be... Here, here's the other reason why I see people don't encourage... Sometimes you don't encourage because of your own insecurity. You don't encourage because you feel like you'll somehow be giving credit away when you really need that credit for yourself. There was this, there was this guy, uh, he was a famous painter, and he said this, he goes, every time my friend succeeds, I die a little on the inside. What does that tell you about him? I'm insecure. And if I feel like he's winning, then it must mean that I'm losing. Therefore, if I give away encouragement, it must mean that he's better than me. And our insecurity becomes a prison cell. And we lack great friendships. We lack vulnerability. We lack the ability to encourage simply because we're on the insecure. And we're afraid that if we gave away encouragement, we might lose something. And let me tell you, you won't. It's the opposite. If you'll learn to give away encouragement, you'll gain something because you'll gain a friend. You don't lose anything when you encourage other people, it's not how it works. And so, so I need to become. Now, some of you are just incredible at it. As a matter of fact, there's a in the Bible it says that there are spiritual gifts, and one of them is the gift of encouragement. And some of you people ooze that thing, and I'm a little envious. Like you just do it naturally. You just encourage. It's incredible. I love it. Keep doing it. If you're like me and you struggle a little bit, do whatever it takes to get out of your weirdness, out of your funk, out of your insecurity, out of your obliviousness and go and encourage somebody. It is a powerful thing because you'll, you'll have to recognize this when you think about the people that you are most attracted to, the people that you are most wanting to be around, the people that you enjoy spending time with the most, usually they're really good encouragers. So be a great encourager. Hey, have you ever wondered why God says so much about friendship? Think about that. Go, go look in the scripture and you're like scripture after scripture after scripture about friendship. And it has occurred to me recently is that God is highly relational. God has wired us for relationships. And how you treat your friends is ultimately a reflection of how you treat God. See, God's a relational person. God's a relational being. And so he wants to have relationship. And so then he gives you relationships. And how you steward those relationships, how you, may, how you treat those other people, how you treat your friends is a reflection of how you will treat God. Therefore, in light of that, who's your Jonathan? Who's your Jonathan? Who, who's in your life that you say, man, this person built me up. They got my back. They go to bat for me. They defend me. It's all, as a matter of fact, I was, that was earlier, I just pointed out, Nate, there's this one story I have where um, we're at the office. This is years ago. And my wife is probably just, you know, two, three miles down the street at the apartment complex where we were living. And um, she calls me. I think we're in like a meeting just talking about a creative meeting, talking about stuff. And she calls me. She goes, Todd, she's kind of in a panic. She goes, somebody is at the front door banging and yelling on the front door. When you're just two, three miles away, you're like, man, I'm jumping in the car. This is go time. And so I do, I jump in the car and, and, and Nate jumps in the car because I, I, of where we were at and he's, he's nearby. And so he jumps in the car. And so the way the apartment complex worked was, is I didn't have a key to get through the gate. Um, at the normal level, I had to go down into the garage so that I could come up the stairs. And so what was crazy though was, is, is somehow Nate and all of his amazing skills he did not have a key to the gate. He literally climbed this 12-foot gate and jumped over it, raced up three flight of stairs, and beat me to my door. That's friendship. Friendship says, your wife's in trouble. 
I'll, I'll be there. She needs help. I'll be there. And, she, and he beat me. It kind of made me feel a little embarrassed. I'm like, how did, how did you beat me to my own door? It's because I, well, it's because I had to go down and you just climbed it like a ninja. And so anyway, but that's just friendship. That's what friends do. They got your back. They encourage you. They support you. They defend you. They, they, I'm, you just need a jump. You need people to drive you to the airport. You need people to help you move. Bless God. That's the worst when you don't have people to help you move. You need a Jonathan. You need Jonathan's in your life. And so here's what I want you to do. Application. Let's walk away from this thing. Number one is this. Pray for your friends. That sounds so obvious, but we don't do it. Sometimes it's the most obvious thing in the world. Yeah, I probably should pray for my friends. No, pray for your friends. Hey, if you're out there today and you say, man, when you ask me that question, who's my Jonathan, that list is really, really short, or maybe it's empty. Then here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for your future friends. Some of you need to pray, God, I need you to help me connect with other people. Help me to find other people. Help me to, to, to draw close to other people and have great and rich friendships. Number two is this, is become the friend you want to have. Now, I'm going to say something a little harsh here. This is your pastor talking, so you have to love me regardless. Sometimes we don't have great friendships, and it's not because God hasn't brought good people into our life. It's because we were a Jonathan to no one. You need to be someone else's Jonathan. The goal of life is not to surround yourself with six great Jonathans. The goal in life is to become a great Jonathan. And then watch how much more attractive you are to great friendships. I want you to be the one that's vulnerable. I want you to be the one that's sacrificial. I want you to be the one that defends. I want you to be the one that encourages. That's what I want from you. So become the friend. Because if, if you're the type of person that cycles through friendships, know this. The common denominator is you. Become the friend. Number three is this. Number three, if you're married out there, if you're married, be your spouse's best friend. This was lost on me for years. Sorry, babe. Um, I just thought your wife is your wife, right? And then your friends are your friends. And in my mind, that was this dualistic thinking. Your wife is your wife and your friends are your friends. And you need guy time to get... In. What I learned is this. Man, there's nothing better in life than having your spouse be your best friend. If, if, if you're married out there, sacrifice, encouragement, defend, be vulnerable, make your spouse your best friend if it's possible. I'm telling you what, because think about this. When we think about marriage, you just need to know this. Um, if you're underneath the age of 18, uh, earmuff. Um, it, it, most, of, most of life is not romance. When you're married, most of life is not romance. Most of life is not a date. Most of life is not, oh, that looks cute. Or, or, you know, or, or the lights are dimmed low and Marvin Gaye's on in the background. That, that's not most of life. I was, trying to, I was trying to find a way to say it. Um, that, that's not most of life. Most of life is journeying together. It's teamwork. It's partnership. It's connection. It's friendship. Friendship is the highest component of marriage. Make your spouse your best friend. And then lastly is this. Number four is this. Man, remember the friendship. Of Jesus. So you've always got a friend in Jesus. You, you need to know that. If you're out there and you've struggled with friendships, maybe this was a hard message, but you need to start first and foremost with Jesus. Because I'm telling you, Jesus is the ultimate friend. Even he said these words, is that greater man has no love than this, than that he would give his life for his friend. And Jesus did that for you. Do you know that the Bible, the Bible says that Satan is the accuser, but it says that actually that Jesus is at the throne of God, basically defending your reputation. He's, he's, he's your advocate is what the Bible says. He's on your behalf. 
Do you know that when you think about Jesus, when you think about other things, we talk, Jesus is the greatest source of encouragement because he's the one saying, you can do all things through me. You've got this. You're more than a conqueror. You can't overcome. I'm just telling you, it's Jesus. That ultimately the answer is, it's Jesus. It starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. And your relationship with him becomes the pebble that creates the ripple effect into all of your other friendships. Your friendships with your buddies, friendships with your spouse, you becoming the friend that you need to be, it begins and ends with Jesus. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me today. I want you to take a moment real quick and just ask yourself, man, who's my Jonathan? And if you have a great Jonathan in your life, if you already say, man, I knew who you're talking about. I got that buddy. I got that friend. I got that girl. I got that guy. Here's what I want you to go do. Here's your homework assignment. Go call him and say thank you. Go call him and bless him. Go call him and appreciate him. Celebrate him. If when I ask the question, who's your Jonathan, there's a struggle there, I want you to begin to pray. God, send a great person in my life. Send me some great friends. Help me to become the friend to others. Help me to sacrifice. Help me to encourage God. Help me to become that friend because here's what we know about life. God has designed you for relationships. And if you'll connect the right pieces in the right order, you can build something great. So, Father, we thank you for these words. God, help us to go out and to be incredible friends, God. Friends that reflect your love. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.